brain trust it has been a week as often is the case hello everybody i hope you are well and feeling lovely inside your bodies and then also inside your brain but your brain's part of your body so it's redundant for me to separate the two and i'm sorry for being partist i feel like we should all embrace our, our bodies and minds as one as one person and it's not even an issue that i understand why is there all of a sudden honking when i started recording the podcast um i'm on a bus as you might be able to tell now, in Israel, heading from Tel Aviv to the Negev Desert, and we'll be off the grid for the next six days at Midburn, which is Israel's Burning Man. And so I'm uploading this now. Um, this is an awesome episode, a great conversation I just had with somebody who I will tell you about in about 45 seconds, if you can wait that long. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Hillary Rosen. thought she was so fascinating to talk to, and... Um, I'll be back next week with more, as every week, generally speaking, except when I fuck up and miss some. And it happens. I'm only one man. I'm only one, I only have two arms. I'm not like a Vishnu with multiple arms or an octopus. So I'm not, I'm not any kind of deity or sea creature. But I am one with all sea creatures. You might know that if you've seen my incredible underwater dolphin swims. And I'm proud of them. It's up to you if you, if you want to judge the fact that I have incredible aquatic abilities and, and say that somehow that makes me, me weaker on land. I don't think it does. I don't think it affects my ability on land whatsoever. And uh, with that said, this conversation I'm about to play you ranges on a lot of issues, a lot of political issues, things going on in the world right now, and mostly as they relate to this very interesting political guest I had. Special thank you to my friend Joanna Knight, who works with Emily's List, who set this up for me. The interview is with and conversations with Christina Reynolds, the vice president of communications for Emily's List, which is um, the nation's largest resource for women in politics. It's raised over $500 million to support pro-choice Democratic women candidates, making them one of the most successful political organizations ever. Snapple, dapple, how is that for impressive? Um, and uh, they help their over 5 million members. They're uh, their five million members help Democratic women wage competitive campaigns and win. They train them, they recruit them, they support them, and research the issues that affect them and their families and helping to turn out women voters. Since 85, they've helped select 116 women to the House, 23 to the Senate, 12 governors, and over 800 to state and local office. So that is pretty gangster. 40% of their candidates elected to Congress and women of color. Also pretty gangsterific. Um, just doing great stuff out there. Does it make me feel lazy about my own achievements? Yes, it does. Why did you bring that up? I'm just trying to introduce my guest before I cut to the recording done in Washington, D.C. with her at the Emily's List headquarters. And you're trying to insult me from every angle. I don't need that. I don't feel like I've earned that disrespect from you. Please tweet along with the episode. You can uh, follow at Emily's List. At Ben Glebe, tell me your thoughts on the episode and follow Christina Reynolds. I'm not sure her handle offhand, but I say it at the end of the episode, so you'll get it then. Um, she joined Emily's List with nearly two decades of experience as a communications and research strategist, a long, light, lifelong fighter for progressive causes. She managed large scale press operations from the campaign trail to the White House and most recently served as senior vice president at Global Strategy Group, a Democratic polling and public affairs firm, polling oftentimes big waste of time these days in modern politics when uh, all unknown factors contribute to our elections, foreign governments, people voting for candidates they're embarrassed to admit. But still, polling, it's, it's still a thing, and I want you to realize that. Before joining GSG, she served as Deputy Communications Director at Hillary for America, a well-intentioned group. They lost. Spoiler alert. She will say spoiler alert before, and my mistake. So sorry about that. Hillary Clinton's not president, though, in case you didn't know. Uh, she also previously served as White House Director of Media Affairs and Special Assistant to the President. So that ain't nothing to sneeze at. And I don't know, in general, you shouldn't sneeze at many things. Probably most things you should avoid sneezing towards. Director of Rapid Response at Obama for America. Research and Policy Director at the DCCC during the 2006 midterms. And I will ask her during this podcast, what the hell does DCCC stand for and why are there so many C's? I'll get to the bottom of it. And served senior roles in several presidential and Senate campaigns. Uh, Deputy Research Director at the DNC she has been. And a proud Tar Heel and Marine brat. She studied journalism and poli-sci at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. 
I think that's enough of a biography to launch into the meat, don't you think? It's time for that meat. Even if you're a vegan, you're allowed to eat verbal meat. That's a sentence that made me feel... I don't like the way that set, that sounded, but it's still, I, it's out there. What am I going to do, edit this? I'm on a bus in the desert. I feel like we can just move past it. All right, great talk. Here it is, Christina Reynolds from the Emily's List headquarters in Washington, D.C., El Capital de los Estados Unidos de América. I... We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my god, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm, like, the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. I am here in the Emily's List offices in Washington, D.C. with Christina Reynolds, who is the Vice President of Communications here. Um... Christina, I'm just going to read from your bio, if I can. Go for it. Uh, With nearly two decades of experience, you join Emily's List uh, as a communication and research strategist, Mm -hmm. a lifelong fighter for progressive causes. You've managed large-scale press operations from the campaign trail to the White House. Mm -hmm. Most recently served as senior VP at Global Strategy Group, a democratic polling and public affairs firm. Before joining that group, you served as deputy communications director at Hillary for America. Mm -hmm. I assume that's Hillary Clinton. That is correct. Yes. (laughs) Um, And you also served previously as White House director of media affairs and special assistant to the president. Under President Obama. Under Obama. Important note. That is a very important note. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of (laughs) a different office these days. A little bit different. Yeah. Slightly different. Different vibe. That's all. Different vibe. Different vibe. Exactly. And um, you were director of rapid response at Obama for America, research Mm -hmm. and policy director at the DCCC, which is too many C's. Too many C's, yes. What we does call that it stand the, for? So it's the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, here in D.C., we call it the DCCC or the D-TRIP. Um, it's the <laughs> uh, the operation that um, works to elect more Democrats to the House. Love and it. I was there under uh, Rahm Emanuel. You may have heard of him. Yeah. So, he's doing great things down in Chicago. Things. Slow but great. He's, he's working on it. He's yeah. doing the best yeah. he can. Um, we, we have to assume that at least. <laughs> and um, you've – Served roles in several presidential and Senate campaigns, and uh, you're also a Marine brat. I am. I am. Traveled around a lot in your childhood. Yeah, I moved, I think, 10 times before I graduated high school wow. or right around graduating high school. It's why campaigns are easy for me. I get no that. No problem to get up and move somewhere. Yeah, yeah. at least you still yeah. have one place you can come back to during a campaign. That's correct. That's you don't correct. do it often, yeah. though. Yeah, uh, I haven't in a while up uh, up until Hillary, but um, yeah, now now I get to travel around but have a, have a home base, which is nice. So before we dive into Emily's List, and I sure. want to expose my listeners to really all the great work Emily's List is doing, but I want them to a little bit know a little bit more about your career and your life and just the world and politics Mm because I know that's what people are interested in here. Um, So explain to me uh, what made you first pursue a career in politics because that seems uh, bananas. It it, it is a little bananas. Um, My dad was a Marine. My mom was a teacher and I think um, they certainly instilled a a need for public service and the importance of public service in, in both my sister and I. She's now a social worker, so on the days when I feel like I'm I'm doing good work, I realize she's doing even better work. Uh-huh. But um, they, I think we just had that growing up, and we we watched the news as a family, and we paid attention to politics. My dad was a Republican, although a moderate Republican. Uh, my mom was a diehard, you know, bleeding uh, bleeding liberal or, or uh, bleeding heart liberal um, Democrat. And so we had some interesting family debates and it was always interesting to me. And when I was in college, I did student body president elections and things like that. I volunteered and, and interned in, in the governor's press office in North Carolina and on his campaign. And I just realized there's something to it that it, you can do good things and work for issues that you believe in. And it's also quite a rush. And so for me, that was, uh, I was hooked. So, were you actually student body president? No. 
No, you I managed campaigns. a campaign. Wow, yes, even yeah. back then, you, you I don't, knew you I don't, wanted to be behind I don't want to run. Yeah, yeah. I am very grateful for all of the, particularly all the women that are running these days. Um, but that's not for me. I'm, I'm behind the scenes. How did you know that was your angle? Uh, you know, I was a journalism major. I had read All the President's Men and I, I wanted to go into journalism school. And in my first news writing class, I realized I had too many opinions to, um, uh, to, to be a news writer. That's my problem too. Right. And, um, and so I went into public relations, but I thought what I'd like to do is help shape someone, um, someone's message and, and how they're communicating rather than be that someone. Uh, and it's, it's worked out well for me. I really enjoy it. It's, it is – you get hooked and, um, you know, Hillary was my fifth presidential, which is kind of crazy. Fifth presidential campaign. Fifth presidential campaign. So what campaigns did you work on? Well, I worked I worked at the DNC when we were trying to elect Al Gore. Mm-hmm. I worked for two John Edwards primary campaigns and then I worked for Barack Obama in the um, in the general election. And that one I, I thought, now we've won. I finally won one. You got I can, one under I'm your done, belt. Nice. Right? You got the ring. I can retire. And I thought I was retired. And then I went to help out a friend on Hillary's campaign in the week she launched and just never came home really. Wow. So um, it, it was – and I, I don't regret it, but it was it just seemed like a history-making thing. So so, so many questions are popping sure. in my head. OK. So let me first pull it back, then pull it forward again. Sure. Your parents were of different political parties mm-hmm. and that's a, I think a very key – a key thing we can maybe take a lesson from mm-hmm. in our incredibly polarized politics right now. So how did they not kill each other? How did they, <laughs> how did they stay married and, and is there any advice there for the country? Well – they always had a long running joke, which was, um, my, my, they were of different faiths, um, both Protestants, so not, not a huge difference, but, um, <laughs> different, difference. different faiths. And, and my mom said we made a deal when we got married that he would join my church, but I would join his, his political party. And her joke was always, of course, I know where he goes to church and he doesn't know where I vote. <laughs> and he would always look at her and say, honey, I know exactly how you vote. <laughs> and it's not the deal we made, but he, um, he, he passed away a few months ago, but I, oh, I will say he, he really – he was a moderate Republican who – he was pro-choice. He, you know, he was in the military and I think that impacted him, but he – but he was very open to different candidates and um, he he voted for – I think I can say this. He voted for Hillary in the end. Um, he th- felt like his party had left him a little bit. And But what he always taught us and what, what both of them always taught us growing up was one, no one can tell you that you can't do something because you're a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, from when we were very small, he had, he had taught us that. And two – you know, learn things, figure out what what's out there and what the issues are and where you stand and then go try and make a difference on those issues. And that for me was getting into politics. And I think even when my first job out of college was at the ACLU of North Carolina and I think he loved telling all his Marine buddies that he had a daughter at the ACLU and then he had a daughter who was a Democrat and not a lot he of loved Marines. That? He loved it. He thought it was great because he, he thought was we he were... trying to get fights going? No, because he knew that he had sort of raised us um, as had my mom to be our own people and to to stand up and and um, to to their credit all the even the Republican Marines and there were many of them that he worked with all respected it because they knew that it came from a from a place of understanding and and trying to make the world a better place and, and it really isn't aren't the goals of the two organizations pretty much exactly the same the military and the AC the American Civil Liberties mm-hmm. Union are both to fight for our freedom. Freedom of people around the world. Exactly, exactly, and that's something. You know, I my my desire for a free for freedom of speech and freedom of, of the press comes from a man who literally went and fought for it. Right, like that's something that um, that was instilled in me as a kid, and so I think it's why I, I certainly get irked now when you see Kevin Nicholson, who's a candidate in Wisconsin, who who said he finds it crazy. I forget his exact wording, but that that anyone in the military would be a Democrat, or that he thinks that serving in the military is a very conservative ideal. And I think of of my father, who was was a Republican, but was not always was not conservative on every issue and believed that there right. was room for, for everyone. And I would even argue the opposite because if we're going to make the argument because oftentimes it seems in recent years the Republican side of our politics seems to haphazardly enter into wars and that seems to be risking the lives of our troops when it's not the last resort, when it's not the only choice, whereas I feel like more often when Democrats send our troops into war, it's more for – Causes that are that are just that are needed around the world, and so. But then again, I'm not trying to denigrate 
sure. Republicans at all. I'm just saying if you're going to make the argument, it seems a weird argument to say the opposite. But it's again, it's, right. we're taught to have these such polarized opinions pushing Absolutely. against each other. Well, and, I, and I'll tell you, my my point of view was always. If you're going to claim to be a party that supports the military, you have to support them when they come home and when they get out of the military. And I'm very proud to have worked in an administration that tried to make things better for vets and to have worked with um, some members of Congress who fought very hard on veterans' issues. And I think that's really important. But here's something I still don't understand about about government, and you're you're, you're on the inside, so maybe you can (laughs) explain. President Obama – Absolutely championed the cause of taking care of our veterans mm-hmm. and, and repairing the the horrible conditions at the VA, but it didn't get done. Why can't something as basic as that mm-hmm. that everybody's on board mm-hmm. for get done? Why couldn't Obama's administration just have put whatever amount of bi- billions of dollars in and just fix it within two years? Like why not? Well, I think it's not just a money problem. I think there's a system that is that is largely broken. There's there's a lot of red tape. I remember and I think this has finally happened and I, I this is one of the few things that I will credit the Trump administration with continuing. Um we when we got there, I remember sitting in a meeting where someone said, Okay, right now our military health records and, and then once you become a veteran, your veterans health records, those two systems are not the same. Mm-hmm. And they don't you can't just port Port them over, which seemed like we said, well, fix that. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. technology. You should be able to do that. And it's so much more difficult. The government has a wonderful way of putting in red tape and there are systems that are not set up and, and you have to run through this trap and that trap. And, and so it's not just a matter of throwing money at things. I will say I'm not a policy person and I, and, mm-hmm. and, and I know that there are people working very hard. I think it's a shame that there's the upheaval that there is in the, in the Trump VA because it's so important what mm-hmm. they do. Um, but well, I think a good choice a to good run way. it's a doctor that's, that's, that sure, made sure, up stuff not? about Trump's health. Why not? Why not? Right. Um, Someone who's not managed something. I mean, I yeah, you know, it's perfect. Whether, yeah, it just seems like um, because it is. It's a huge challenge, and we saw it. I was there with Secretary Shinseki, who was a great leader, but but I, I saw some of the the inside just workings, and it's just really hard. It's a huge department. It runs on certain rules and regulations and things, and just to get one little thing done, you have to change all of these other little things, and um, it's a shame because government doesn't run at the speed mm-hmm. of business of technology of campaigns of the way we work and so and then what about that. trump's idea recently to privatize parts of the va um i worry about that because i worry that and i again i'm not a policy not a pol- person. i get it um Just i personally. think there's personally i worry that there are um when you do that, you put vets at the mercy of people who are going for profit. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, there are things where you can say, you know, well, this seems too expensive. We're going to limit it to this. Mm-hmm. And right now we have red tape getting in the way. But if profits get in the way, I feel like that makes it even tougher. Yeah. And that that's what worries me. Maybe someone comes up with a good solution. I don't think I've heard it yet on the privatizing side that, mm-hmm. that sort of protects vets from that. But that's, that's what scares me about mm-hmm. it. Okay, so then from the communications and strategy side, you worked in the White House. I did. Mm-hmm. Explain to me what your job was and what you, what was it like day to day because it's sure. fascinating to people. Um, it, and, it, and it was fascinating. And, and I will say a friend of mine said when, when – who had worked in the Clinton White House, he said if, if every day you don't feel a little bit of, oh, thank goodness, when those gates open up and you get to go in and work there – then you should hang it up because um, mm-hmm. it's a hard place to work, but it's it should be an honor every day because it mm-hmm. isn't right. You, it's 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 just it's a it's an amazing place. I was the director of media affairs. It's a position that keeps the the title and the purview and all that changes from from administration to administration. Um, the way we did it, I was in charge of the regional press of the coalitions or constituency press, so vets press or African-American press or LGBTQ press. Um, and then we had sort of a, a rapid response operation and that was basically special projects. So I was there until the day we passed healthcare. Wow. I felt like, okay. It's a big fucking deal. I'm good. Like, that's a, B, that's yeah. a BFD right there. Now I'm going to go find some, right, to quote, to to quote, quote Joe, Biden. Joe Biden. That's right. Um, now I'm going to go find some weekends and some sleep and see what that's like. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. We did a lot. We did the stimulus um, during that time period, which I think really helped take the economy from teetering on the edge to slowly pushing back in the right direction. Yeah. We did um, healthcare, which I'm incredibly proud of and 
you know, cost Democrats some seats and we had some tough going there. The implementation wasn't always smooth, but I think we're seeing now what a difference that makes to have things like pre-existing conditions not be a thing, mm-hmm. to have motherhood not be a pre-existing condition, mm-hmm. right? Um, to, to end lifetime caps. It's an interesting thing for me now because we're seeing a large number of our women running because of Obamacare or because of the efforts to undermine it, they, this is, this is the number one issue for them. They've either faced a healthcare issue themselves or, or had a child who did or had a family member. We have people who've taken care of parents who've dealt with it and they see it and they know the importance of having that safety net there. Um, and so that's something that, that I think Republicans are going to regret. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how much shifts. I think under the Trump administration, the head of media affairs literally is somebody that's just a liaison to handle how how the media covers his affairs. I think it's <laughs> very a lot more it's, specific. Uh, I've not seen the job titles, but it is certainly a different uh, <laughs> press operation than we had. For yes. sure. Hey, the, the, yes. I bet it's probably easier for them in some ways because they can just like make stuff up. So, I mean, I you know, I know as a former researcher, I wish we had that. Yeah, had that if you could luxury, just make stuff right? up. Yes. It's great. Yeah. So. So what a, what I don't still understand, I'm not going to ask you too many more policy questions, mm-hmm. but just so you get healthcare passed and then mm-hmm. Trump comes in and tries to undermine it, tries to hops on board with the Republican side of Congress trying to repeal it over and over again and even with his tax cuts does mm-hmm. some damage to actually Absolutely. hurt it quite a bit. Absolutely. Um what did they do? They they took away the, the individual mandate. Individual mandate mm-hmm. which is the whole thing. Right. If young and healthy of, people, if you say Okay, if you don't want healthcare, you don't have to get it. And young and healthy people aren't in the system. It makes it financially not so solved and completely. Expensive. And you know how we know that? Tom Price, the HHS secretary, mm-hmm. you know, originally under Donald Trump, mm-hmm. just said we have mucked up the markets that way. I, I don't. I'm not quoting him exactly. Right. Um. And I and I stopped myself from using the other version of that <laughs> word. But um. You're not Joe Biden. Relax. I'm not Joe Biden. That's right. But he acknowledged that that that's what they're doing. He's tried to walk it back, but. That's the reality. When you take those people out, um, and they, and they keep trying to do it, and they just announced that they're going to try and do some things via, um, via executive order, that they're going to come back and try and do it. Um, and these issues are incredibly important. They're going to try and mess with Planned Parenthood, which provides health care for millions of women and, and some men, but William, millions of women around the country. Yeah, his budgets it's keep trying to slash like, it completely. That's right. And and what Planned Parenthood does and what the, the federal funding does not go for abortions, it goes for cancer screenings. It goes for checkups and things. For many women, it is their health care. They can't afford much more mm-hmm. than going into a Planned Parenthood clinic where they get great health care. I had a concept that I told a friend of mine who works at Planned Parenthood. I think they're considering it – what they should just do to safeguard against regulations going against it. They should make it like – you know how like Taco Bell shares with KFC a lot of times locations? <laughs> they should have the Planned Parenthood abortion wing that's completely a separate <laughs> operation. Then you're clear and government funds could come right in. Well, government funds do – they, they do they currently. They do. Um, but they're trying to stop a, that. And And – they already do separate it and, right. and they're what, what Trump, that's, which is, which is what's galling is what they're messing with. They're, they're using a talking point that's, and that's all they want is their talking point for their right wing base. And it's, it's going to have real consequences for women that, that's just shocking. I mean, I will say as someone who's pro-choice and who is now fighting to elect pro-choice democratic women, mm-hmm. I, I think the abortion side of things is a problem too, what they're trying to do. But this is, that's not what they're doing. And it's, and it's going to undermine something that provides healthcare for millions of women. So let's dive into that then and your work here at Emily's List and we'll dive back sure. to the other stuff, sure. to your biography in a, in, in, a little, in a little bit. But, um, let me break down for people what Emily's List exactly is sure. from Emily's List official bio. Emily's List is the <laughs> nation's largest resource for women in politics. You raised over $500 million to support pro-choice Democratic female candidates, making them the most, one of the most successful political organizations ever. Uh, the grassroots community of over 5 million members helps Democratic women wage competitive campaigns and win. You recruit, train candidates, support strong campaigns, research the issues that impact women and families, and turn out the female vote. Since the founding of your organization in 1985, you've helped elect 116 women to the House, 23 to the Senate, 12 governors, 800 to state and local <laughs> office. 
and 40% of the candidates Emily's list has helped elect to Congress have been women of color. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty high percentage. Mm -hmm. Um, And since 2016 election, now thousands of women have been reaching out to you guys to figure out how to run for office to get information about that, like 30,000 people? 36,000 as of the latest number, and there are more coming in. And and what's interesting about that number is the record high for an election cycle before was – the 2016 cycle up until 920. And now we're at 36,000. I think many women and certainly the women who worked in this – the people who worked in this building because we also have some great men um, – it's we're nice afraid. That. <laughs> That's right. We I were, only saw women out there. There are men. There here? are men. There are okay, men. Yes. Right. Um, we were. We were afraid that what would happen was people would look at Hillary Clinton, an incredibly qualified woman, losing to Donald Trump, a not very qualified, and insert your you know. Insert your various insults. Um, orange, man. orange, mango-colored monkey man. There you go. It's and they would favorites. say, "Well, if she can't do it, I can't do it," and they would give up. And the instead, happened. women went. Okay, I'm going to fix it. That's fine. And so they said, if that guy can be, pre- I think they were inspired by Hillary. They were inspired by, I think they saw what she faced on the trail, which was a lot of different things that we now know about. And it's not to say we ran a perfect campaign, but she got hit by a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. some of which was sexist. And I think they saw that and they went, okay, well, that makes it harder. So I'm going to work harder. Well, but and I I'm saw Hillary recently had a, I didn't read the article, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. even reference it, but I will. Um, <laughs> sure. it, it's, Hillary said that they were never going to let her win. What, why, why did she say that? And, what do you think are the forces that were beyond your guys' control that really made it just too much of an uphill battle? Well, I think um, – and you know, let's be clear. She got three million more votes. So, Strong point. Um, Strong so point. The Electoral College has to go. It's a side it's, issue. That's, that is a side issue. But, it, but it's – she got three million more votes in there. But for 80,000 votes in three states, she would have been president. And I think there, there are many reasons. You, know, you can't blame one reason on, on, a, um, on someone losing – but there were a few things. Obviously, we know about the Comey letters um, mm-hmm. that came in at, at some pretty inopportune times. Mm-hmm. And we now know that when that, those letters were released, Donald Trump was – Trump's campaign was under investigation. Was, investigation yeah. and that was not made public. Right. So that's frustrating. Comey's um, explanation my, of this is very confusing is too. My, it's very confusing. Um, and then beyond that, we obviously had – we had the WikiLeaks. We had Russia. We had all sorts of things. Um, and those – so those were challenges. I think we also look at, for example, what happened in Benghazi was a tragedy. There were eight, I think, congressional hearings on it. Yeah, that de- that just out of proportion. No new information, mm-hmm. right? We spent millions of dollars basically just to drag the woman in front of um, cameras and yell at her. For, and I, I watched – And she handled that pretty darn good. I, I mean I have to say – um, they made fun of me at work because I watched all 11 <laughs> hours and I shouted at the screen so much that I literally lost my voice and people said, Christina, she can keep her cool. What's wrong with you? Except when she said, what's the point? Who cares? She lost it a little bit. Well, that was, was a different a hearing. Oh, that was, was an earlier hearing. hearing. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. In the 11 hours, she did not um, – other than having a bit of a coughing fit, um, mm-hmm. she – well, she shouldn't be Kept allowed to cool. cough. Come on. No, it's true. It's true. Think about that's it. really, yeah. That's, kind you know, of women are so emotional, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Everybody coughs out their emotions and it's basically she was crying. That's right. That's right. But so what we're see, what we saw was women looked at it. They were, I think, inspired by Hillary. They, they had the fire in them that, you know, we need more women at the table. They saw what it meant mm-hmm. to be inspired by a woman. And then they were a little inspired by Trump in that if that guy can be president, I can sure as hell run for house. Yeah. I can run for, you know, city council. I can run giving people mayor. thoughts of accessibility for sure. Yeah. And and so we've seen women come out in record numbers and they are phenomenal candidates. And there are all sorts of different – we've got Gina Ortiz-Jones who is um, a daughter of immigrants, woman of color, LGBTQ veteran – and we just think – Look at those boxes checked I mean right it's – but we also think what would piss Trump off more, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, pretty good. Um, but she knows her stuff. She's worked in foreign service. She's worked – you know, she's been in the military. She knows her stuff and she's this amazing dynamic candidate. Lauren Underwood running in Illinois 14. Um, Lauren was a nurse. She had a childhood heart condition. And then went into, went into nursing as a registered nurse and then decided she wanted to go into healthcare policy and helped implement Obamacare working out of HHS and was, you know, didn't know what she wanted to do, um, with regard to Trump being in office and what are the Republicans going to do. But when her opponent had promised not to, um, do anything about the pre-existing conditions rule and then voted to end it, 
She said, nope, that's it. I'm going to take your seat. And she is now running for office. And my attitude is – Where is this? She's in Illinois. Okay. Um, and she's a seat that was originally rated solid Republican and they keep moving it now. Then it was likely Republican. Now it's lean Republican. She – on the force of Lauren is running a great campaign and people are responding to this young woman who actually knows her shit. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing around the country is we have these candidates who – they're first-time candidates but their life experience gives them something that I think people who are running – just to get to the next step don't have. They want to solve a problem. They understand the issues that their community is facing. We've got three or four CIA officers, I think three CIA officers who we've endorsed. We've got lots of veterans. We've got business leaders. We've got women who've run nonprofits. We have people who've been in office before um, who are in local office and are running for another office. But, But all around the country, we're seeing this just interesting diversity of women come out um, and say, I'm, I'm ready to do it. Let's, let's make this happen. And right now in Congress, only 20% roughly yeah. of people in Congress are women, which obviously is not no. close to the, to the percentage in life. I think women make up about 27% of people. I think people. that's right. Yeah. Maybe 30, maybe 30. Yeah. <laughs> obviously I think it's 51% it's, it, it now. It is 51%. Right? That is correct. And in Congress, it's, I believe the House just cracked 20%. And, uh, the Senate, we're at a record 23%. Well, that's pretty oh, good, great that's, numbers. That's enough, I think. It's, that's <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> too many people agree with you that's so that's why think. we're here mm-hmm. and so we are here to help women get get elected we also work in those open blue seats so you know in some cases we're fighting for you know making sure that a woman for example texas has never elected a latina texas has never sent a Latina to Congress, which to me is crazy and fairly offensive. And mm-hmm. we're going to send two this year. We um, worked hard with Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia in two open Democratic seats, and they did the work and they won their primaries outright, didn't even have to go to a runoff. And those are pretty safe seats. And so they will be in those seats, which also means they can move up the leadership, you know, and stay in Congress long enough to, to get, be committee chairs or be, you know, as long as they want to. And, and I think that's, that's fantastic because that's too often doesn't happen. So what happens – do you guys ever support two candidates in the same race? I assume – No. Um, what we do there – How do you then so, choose? So here's, here's what we do. We look at um, – obviously our first three criteria are democratic pro-choice and women. Which right? I want to ask you about that as well. So let sure. me ask you then right now. Sure. Um, why – I'm curious why pro-choice is a prerequisite, why that is a, a absolute um, – litmus test for you guys and then also in under any circumstance would you ever support a republican candidate if they're a very progressive republican nope. no our goal here and and by the way stephanie shriok our president wishes and we i think we all do we wish there was a republican emily's list we wish there was someone on the mm-hmm. republican side there are a couple organizations that kind of try and do it i think one of them just started enforce endorsing men which is not great. Republicans may actually lose ground on the number of women they have in office. Mm-hmm. Um, we wish there was someone fighting hard on that side that had the same kind of uh, lift that we do um, and and support and 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 hard work that we do. We um, pro choice was when when this organization was started. Pro choice was one of their criteria, and it has continued. And I will say, I for one believe it should be. I'm 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 okay with it being a litmus test. Uh, I think all of us here are because we believe it is fundamental. To to women's rights, not it, it. It's it's a choice. Um, it is not something we're not saying. You have to personally, you know, we're not saying you need to go have an abortion. <laughs> you know, don't it's not have an abortion. One. That's okay, right? Test. It's not a mandate. Um, but we are saying that the idea, despite what reproductive- Michelle Wolf may suggest, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, we are saying that reproductive freedom is it's an economic issue. It is. It is a, a civil rights issue and we think it's important enough that we make it one of our criteria. And it's not a – honestly, pretty much every – you know, most Democrat – Democrats uh, and Democratic mm. women fit that criteria. Right. So what we do – so to your question sure, yeah. of of what do you do when there – for example, there's multiple pro-choice Democratic women. We look at those three criteria first. Then we take a look and we want to make sure that this is someone who can win, not someone who's going to win. We don't tend to endorse in the easy races um, or we at least don't re-endorse in the easy races. Um, we're looking for where can we actually make a difference um, in getting those women in office. And so one, you have to be willing to do the work. It's hard work running for office. This may be part of why I didn't, don't want to do it. But, um, <laughs> it's hard work. Money is unfortunately a part of running for office. And so you have to be willing to make those fundraising calls. That's annoying and hard. And I know like when I was in college, I didn't want to ask people for t- 
to pitch in two dollars for the keg, I wouldn't want to call people asking and ask for, for money. money. Sucks. It's hard. Yeah. And um, and so you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to set up a real campaign and know that no, you can't be the campaign manager. You're the candidate. You got to hire someone to do it. You mm-hmm. have to set up a structure and and um, and do the work. And then, and then we look at the district. Is it a winnable district? Not a, we go to reach districts, but if it's just not, not possible, we want our donors to know. And when I say donors, I mean both big donors and the people who give us $5 every month to know that they're not throwing their money away here, that they are going after races that we could, like if we fight mm-hmm. as hard as we can, that we can win. Um, and so we're expanding out what that means in a year like this. There are races that we probably wouldn't ordinarily consider that we're looking at. And that number grows every day. We are constantly looking at races. Um, but we think that's important. So if there are two pro-choice Democratic women in a race who are both running good campaigns, typically we look at it and we say, if we stay out, will one of those women come through? And then we endorse after the primary. Mm-hmm. Um, if we, but if we stay out and, and a dude is going to win, then we're, we might get in. Then we, and, and, you know, if we think that our endorsement will help ensure that a woman wins that primary, then we will likely get in. If we think that we can stay – and we're seeing this now. We have a few races where there are a, a two, three great pro-choice Democratic women and they're all running great campaigns and we're fairly certain one of them is going to do it. Then we'll we'll let them fight it out and then we'll come in afterwards in the, after the primary and help them out. We often also – we work with women. We talk to them. We help get them in the race sometimes long before we endorse. It's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, but our goal is just to make sure that as many – we can elect as many pro-choice Democratic women as we can. So that brings up another interesting question. Mm-hmm. So you you phrase it almost as though having a woman win a, a race is like the be-all, end-all, which, which I think is – for an overall purpose and mm-hmm. for the statistics improving in Congress, I think mm-hmm. it's a very noble goal. But are there times where you guys will make the assessment and say in this particular race, we don't think the women running are as good of candidates or as qualified as a man running. And so we're going to not endorse specifically because we think the man would be better for the particular race. I don't, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know of a time when that's happened. I will say, I think that our, I, we, like we think all our candidates both can can win and the ones that we endorse we think they can win and we think they'll be good members of congress you think women are and better so, than men that's your point sure. you think well, in all cases in, in all cases <laughs> absolutely um but i think you know i'm hard pressed to i i don't know of a situation that i can say yes i think this this man clearly is better than this woman right um and you know, too often it, it's it's different now. There there are more often we're on the same. You know, not not always certainly, but there are times we're on the same side as the establishment. But the the reason this organization started was that Ellen Malcolm, our founder, and some other other female donors and and sort of po- political types looked around and saw a couple of women lose Senate races that they should have won, come really really close, but the DC establishment wrote them off mm-hmm. and said, well, no, they can't win, and so they got they got no money and they couldn't. You know, they couldn't mount the kind of campaign that, and then they came within a few points and they said, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to provide the establishment for them, right? Like we're going to get in there and we're going to help lift them up. And I think the problem that we face is there's a lot of people who say, well, this man would be fine. He will be an advocate for women. Okay. But we're still at 20%. Right. You know, right. We've got a, I, 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 and I have worked for a lot of wonderful men and, they're all advocates for women. I think Barack Obama was an advocate for women. I think Tim Kaine, you know, I think they're all advocates for women. But that doesn't mean that we that our job is done. That's that not the goal of the organization. There are enough women mm-hmm. I- at the table. Well, I guess I ask because, like, not to you know bring up too much of a sore subject, but even with the issue of Hillary. Mm-hmm. You know, I've thought sometimes that it was pretty unfair the way the DNC kind of torpedoed Bernie, and that Bernie, I thought, would have been a very interesting. Even though Hillary's great, and I voted for Hillary, mm-hmm. and I wanted Hillary to win for sure over mm-hmm. Trump, but in some ways, she was uniquely qualified to be a great foil to Trump because mm-hmm. of all of Bill Clinton's baggage and because of all these things. And so. In a time when the history of the country can shift so dramatically on one election, mm-hmm. 
inflection point and you know any something that would have torpedoed any campaign the access hollywood tape and then trump comes out and does that press conference when he brings out all of bill clinton's past accusers mm. and just diffuses so strongly hillary had so much baggage that it was that trump was able as being the greatest shit talker ever and being the greatest at manipulating and spinning in some ways as much as i want us to have a female president a long mm-hmm. time ago already maybe it wasn't the time maybe that's my question. So, well, long and wordy. I'm sorry. It's a, no, it's okay. A lot, uh, there's a, there's a lot there, and I I have a lot of opinions about um, about Hillary. I'm obviously pretty biased towards her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, for one, I think it's it's easier to sit back and say, well, well, Bernie would have won when Bernie didn't face what Hillary faced in the in the general election, right? Hillary didn't really – she didn't attack Bernie very much. There weren't negative ads going up against Bernie um, and there certainly would have been. Like any Democratic candidate would have faced all the Republican independent expenditure money and would have faced something from Trump. Um, he didn't go after him very much in the in the primary I think because Trump had hoped that you know um, he didn't have any – he wanted Bernie to keep going, right? The longer primary for Democrats is better mm. for, for Donald Trump. So I think we don't know what attacks would have come at Bernie, but there would have been attacks and, and those would have come. And I, and I think some of Bernie what, – what made Bernie a strong candidate, which was the speaking to – frankly, speaking to change from Obama. And I, I love President Obama, but the mm-hmm. reality was Hillary was a third would have been a third term of Obama in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I think there are people, there are people certainly where I grew up, people who were Democrats, but who looked at that and saw, okay, I know the economy is getting better, but it, it hasn't yet for me. And maybe a change is better. And what we saw is people Look, do I think there are people who voted for Donald Trump because of the excess Hollywood tape and because of some of the racist and, you know, sure, terrible some. things he said? Yes. But do I think that there were a lot of people who voted for him who said, that offends me, but I think there's, Sons. you know, right? And, and they just needed it. They the wanted to change. They had economic reasons. Yes. And I don't know that they would have, I don't, I, I'm not sure they would have come back to Bernie. I think they might have stuck with Trump. Mm-hmm. And because it was enough of a switch, right? But this maybe 80,000 of them might have. Well, but, but maybe 80,000 of those, you know, women who came out You're because making me nervous. They, sorry, too far sorry. From the cameras. Yes, okay. sorry. Um, maybe 80,000 of those women who came out, you know, right. and, might and who, have. and who sure. knocked doors and, and were very inspired by Hillary might not have. I mean, she, she's, she got more votes than anyone but Donald Trump and Barack Obama has ever gotten mm. so we you know i i do think and i i think well, some more of that, than trump. that true that's right she got more votes than, than, just than, than, than anyone but barack obama um and i think i will say that i think there's some of that i know for me there were people i knew from growing up who were not political who took their their babies in to vote for the first time mm-hmm. you know and and were inspired by her so i think we don't know what happens there i will say i think that there's always going to be a reason why it's not the right time. To me, Hillary Clinton was an incredibly she was she knew her policy and I and the policy that we put out, I mean, it filled books and it was, you know, sure. you know, wonky and nerdy and all those things. Part of the problem but maybe. But that's what I think would have made her a phenomenal president, president and I think the candidate maybe it made her too wonky and too maybe detailed. Although I think that what broke through for most people was it was Donald Trump and maybe it was emails, but it was Donald Trump. We had a hard time breaking through that. And I think that I don't, I, we don't know what would happen, but I'm pretty proud that we, that we gave it a shot. I hope we keep giving it a shot. Mm -hmm. And, and I will say the other thing is the one thing that, that none of us can, can, you can't quite put a number on this, but I think as people, we view candidates as men. You know, that's in our, in our heart, like Mm -hmm. deep somewhere in our brains. What we've always been told is that candidates to some degree leaders, but the candidates are, you know, they're dudes, they wear suits and they have deeper voices and they, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And where do women even put a flag pin on? I was thinking about it now. It's a challenge, right? So, you know, this is a disaster. What are you going to (laughs) do? Um, and so, so it's why you saw mainstream reporters say things like when Hillary was giving a speech, oh God, she's yelling at us again. Right. Oh, her voice is shrill. As if that was not a, not a gendered thing. That was not an odd thing. And I would think to myself, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump literally stand up at a podium and yell at you for an literally hour. Yell, right. That's literally what they do. And you don't comment on their voices because that's what you expect and a woman isn't. And so, I'm hoping that all of these women running, maybe we work up 
maybe people start seeing mm. candidates at a local level. You know, maybe mm. they they see more and more. They see candidate as woman. They see candidate as you know that can be someone who's wearing you know a pantsuit instead of a suit, right? Who is who talks with in a in a slightly higher voice, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's something that will be exciting to see as that changes. That our view, you know, as they see Kamala Harris, as they see Elizabeth Warren, as they see women out there more and more. Both candidates that you guys helped to. We did. We get, absolutely get did. Going. Yes, and we're and, and we're and incredibly it. proud of them and and grateful for all their work Both and presidential prospects. Potentially, who knows? Um, we are, as they are, very focused on 2018 because I will say I don't believe we don't beat Trump unless we start giving him some trouble in Congress. Mm-hmm. You know, keep in mind Hillary had to deal with hearings and and all mm-hmm. of that going mm-hmm. on. And Trump didn't. Right. You know, the Republicans let him sail through. Still are. Still are. And and so our hope is let's let's give him a Congress that gives him you know, that starts holding him accountable to stuff. So then then what for as a as a cautionary tale and as a lesson, as any advice for all the women that you guys are getting to run and that sure. are considering running, what are some things that you guys maybe did do wrong or could have done better in the Hillary campaign? What are lessons that can be could be adjusted for future female campaigns and just campaigns in general? Well, and I will say, I, I think Donald Trump is a very special case, mm-hmm. and I think that. You know, no one is going to dominate the press the way, and certainly not a local. He's genius at that. He really is brilliant. He's a master manipulator of the the media. Absolutely amazing. I think people discount that. I look back, for example, um, we were starting to get some traction on some things with regard to his housing quotes and the economy and some things like that. Mm -hmm. And he went after Judge Curiel. You may remember Mm -hmm. when the Trump University case. Well, he's a Mexican judge, so he can't be impartial. Of course, he can't be. Makes a lot of sense. And and because the reality was, I think Donald Trump knew that that didn't cost him any of his votes. And mm-hmm. so it was okay, so he could do that. And, and it probably got him some. And it, and it sucked up all the press. Mm-hmm. And so every little bit of what, you know, what we were trying to push went away. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't remember Trump University, the fact that he just defrauded people. You remember that he I remember it. I'm still trying to get that money too. back. Fair, there you go. There you go. I really did that not, I did, I did not. get a great picture next to a cardboard cutout oh, though. It was pretty go. nice. That's great. That's it was great. worth it. Um, I got it framed in my garbage can. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. I, um, so we, what do we tell women? We tell women to be themselves. And that's something I think, I think Hillary was in two, in 2016, but I think it took her a little while to get there to, to be out there to embrace the, you know, for her, it was to embrace the wonk, to talk about the work she did for women and children mm-hmm. instead of having to be full throated. I am strong, you know, which she is, she is incredibly strong and she has this great experience. Mm-hmm. But, um, but to be willing to talk about that. Is something that this is the thing that we learn that we encourage our women, right? Go out and be yourself. Be as 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 much as you can. You know, you talk to people. You know things. You've lived in this district. You've, you've experienced things, and you've balanced the budget. You've dealt with the health care. Go talk about that, and and go talk about who you are. And don't worry about. We don't send our candidates like here's exactly how you should talk about the tax cut. Here's exactly how you should talk about X, Y, and Z. We want you to be you because fundamentally that's what makes you the best candidate. And it's why, you know, we, we, we are proud of the women running, but we're also proud of the campaigns that they're running. Gina Ortiz Jones didn't hide that she is, that, that she's a lesbian. Um, Mikey Sherrill is a mom who coaches her. She, she has four kids. She was all, you know, she was in the military and went to the Naval Academy, lived through, you know, did all that and now coaches her kids soccer team. And she talks about both of those things. I think we can all agree as too many kids, but that's neither here nor there. Sure, sure. That's a huge number of children. (laughs) It is a huge number. She has her own soccer team, but (laughs) but basically she, she talks about all of those things and she doesn't run, you know, she doesn't, I'm not only this, I'm not only that. And that's something that, that we think is really important. And then it's part of it is just, you know, Trump is Trump is Trump, right? Mm-hmm. I, there's no there's no hiding from it. But how about not going to certain states? How about not going to Wisconsin more? How about that's a common <laughs> criticism? Well, I mean, that's campaign. that's different on our. Yes, it certainly is. I, I think that. And I, I, I was on the I was on the I was in the communications team. I dealt with a Donald Trump all the time. Mm-hmm. That was my I had colleagues who who managed Hillary's communications. I did Trump. And that was a dark place. Um I can't speak to the decisions of why we went to one state over the other or things like that. I will say um you know the flip side is we went to Pennsylvania a lot and we lost that by mm-hmm. a, by a little bit. I think that I think that we thought certainly 
we thought that there was – I'm going to quote Kellyanne Conway here and it makes me uncomfortable. I was hoping you would do that. With, right, but I agree with her on one thing. She said in the end, we thought that the idea, all the things that the Access Hollywood tape, that the racist things that Trump said, that the things that he drove there, we thought based on research that that, that would impact people's vote, that that would actually – that was something that they were voting on. And and I was very proud of – you know, like good for you, America. You know, they didn't like – for example, when he made fun of a reporter who mm-hmm. had a physical uh, disability, people hated that. We thought that was a vote driver and what it, what it turns out, as Kellyanne Conway said, people were um, – were offended by it, but not affected by it. Right. And so for some people, that was not enough to push them off, off Trump. And yet that was all that was in the news. And so we, you know, are there, I, I don't know, should we have gone, if we had gone to Wisconsin, would that have made a difference? Maybe. I'm not sure. We went to Pennsylvania and it didn't. Mm-hmm. So you look at it and you wonder where could we have done this? I think all of us from the campaign will spend years thinking through that. Sure. What I know is what we can come out of it and I think what Hillary would want to come out of it. I think it excites her that part of what comes out of this is that so many women are running, that they're stepping up, that the women's march was women saying, okay, well, that guy's a problem. So we're going to let him know. We're not going to – What do you think about the pussy hats though? <laughs> I, I mean pink's not my color but I applaud the women who you know, I like uh, who pink. wear it. I would I wear think. one. There you go. I, I would wear one if I knew how to knit but I am, I am not – I can only do a scarf. That's I can't I can't make you know, corners and things like that. Some of the basic like things that, to knit right? is just yeah. a straight line. It's, it's just a straight easy. line and I can't even end it. They're just never, never ending <laughs> scarves. So um, no, I think – but I think from the Women's March to, to Me Too um, to what we're seeing now, it's women seeing this community that if we stand up together, we can do pretty powerful things. And so I hope that continues into November. I feel really good that we're going to elect a lot – that that 20 percent is going up. Um, not fast enough, but it's going up. Mm-hmm. Um, what was November. it at when, when Emily's List started? That's a good question. I should know that and I don't, but it was low. I will, uh, when Emily's List started, there had been no Democratic women had been elected in their own right to a Senate seat. Wow. Mm-hmm. Barbara Mikulski was the first. And that was your guy's candidate. That was our candidate. Barbara. Oh, wow. Your, just, your girl's just, candidate. Our, yeah. Your ladies, women. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> it's, it's fine. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take any of it. Um, just pay attention to our candidates and we don't care. Um, but yeah, Barbara Mikulski was our first and, which is a crazy thing. That was 1986. The not first female senator. Elected of her own right. A first Democratic senator elected of her own right. Not to sort of fill a seat mm-hmm. after someone passed away right. or something like that. And she she did it with help of Emily's list, and almost all of the women uh, senators elected since then. Every woman, of, every Democratic woman of color currently serving in Congress is an Emily's list candidate. Um, almost all, all but one of the uh, the Democratic women in in the Senate are Emily's list candidates, and we're really proud of that. So. And so, just back to the one loose end we had from before. Why yes. never a Republican hand? Let's say you had a pro-choice Republican. Wouldn't it be good to have some people on the other side that are kind of working for it, your guys' goals? It would goals? be good. We'd be glad for that. But we are Democrats, and so that's right. what we're. You're a Democratic organization. We're just, a Democratic organization. Yeah, we are a partisan organization. But independence, not even independence, wouldn't qualify. Nope. nope. You got to be Democrat. So. We're, we're, we love them. I mean, you know, if you, if you want to be a pro-choice woman in, in Congress, awesome. Um, but you got to be a Democrat to get mm-hmm. Emily's List support. Do you ever support candidates who are pro-choice, but who have not murkier positions, but have kind of more centrist opinions on abortion and on? What we care about is how they're going to vote. And so, uh, we, we do a questionnaire and we talk to them and we are, we are more forward looking than backward looking. But again, you know, there are candidates like Tim Kaine is sort of a famous one, right? Tim Kaine personally, um, has, has issues with abortion, but he votes the right way. So if Tim Kaine were a lady, we'd be, you know, we, we, we might be with if him. If he begins there. transitioning, you might consider sure, it. Sure. But that's our, our, our concern is how are you going to vote? And again, it's a choice, right? It's not an abortion mandate. You know? right. Um, if right. you want to make a choice for yourself, that's fine. We want you to respect other women's ability. And to it's make becoming it an issue that again is coming to the forefront just today, I believe. Iowa. Iowa. And, just, and that's actually. Just looks like they're going to pass a bill just to t- let everybody know that it's going to outlaw abortion once the fetal heartbeat is detected. And that's six weeks in. That's, that's, yeah, it's around that time. So it's some women don't even know they're pregnant before that happens. Yeah, no one knows that fast. It's, 
It's a scary thing, and we're seeing this around the country. This will be when when the governor signs it, and unfortunately, it looks like she will. Um, it will be the most restrictive law in the country. But there are a lot of places trying to do it. That's why we are very focused here on state legislatures as well. We have tripled the size of our state and local team um, as a as a way of recruiting. One of the challenges in state legislatures is that about forty percent of the seats don't they go uncontested, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. You're making serious, serious laws that actually like goofy impact person people, should right? So we went out and we worked with a bunch of partners and we've been recruiting really heavily in states. So like my home state of North Carolina, for the first time in a while, 100% of seats have a Democrat filed and they have more women running than we think have, have ever – records get a little murky, but we think have ever run before. And we're seeing that around the country. I mean we're working for it, mm-hmm. but we're seeing that around the country just to get more women at the table. Because as as one of our one of our candidates running for house is actually in the Iowa State Legislature, oh, she wow. just gave her name's Abby Finkenauer. She's a young woman. Three years in a row, they've tried to pass this, and three years in a row, Abby's gotten up and spoke. And she noted that there are only in the I think she said in the Iowa Legislature there are only five women remotely close to childbearing age. Wow. So she said, "You guys are all making decisions for me mm-hmm. and for people of millions of women like me, and you don't represent us." And so if that so currently with Roe v. Wade, the ruling just makes abortion legal, but it does not set when or what the cutoffs are. Or if this becomes signed into law in Iowa, does it then get challenged and bring it back to the Supreme Court? Possibly, possibly. And and lawyers would be able to tell you, you know, Mm -hmm. and and the people who dig into the policy there would be able to tell you more. But yes, all of these put it at risk. And since we had, since the Republicans stole a Supreme Court seat from us Mm -hmm. by, you know, R.I.P. Merrick Garland, right? Bananas. R.I.P. Not in the sense that he's dead, but R.I.P. His his nomination, right? Yes, he's not dead. He will be so relieved. Yes. so because of what the Republicans did there, it's a risk if, if, if it goes before the Supreme Court. We don't know what they'll do. So I don't know that this is an attempt. South Carolina actually just, just shot down an attempt that was just flagrantly an attempt to challenge Roe. But they're going to keep doing this and it's going to have a real impact on, on women around the country. So I understand why you guys are fighting so hard. I think it's a really cool cause. I would love to see a 51% female Congress. That would be amazing. Right, right. Uh, probably going to be some time until it gets to that number. But, but every, I think every more, every, every one woman we elect inspires even more women and makes it easier and makes it so that you, you can see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a but really, where in... do they wear a flag pin? Cause they, even Hillary didn't wear a flag <laughs> pin. She wore like a brooch. Um, sometimes I think she wore flag. Did she? I think sometimes, yeah. Maybe maybe pantsuits <laughs> need to have more of a lapel, like a right, longer right. lapel. Well, famously, you know, there were instances where Donald Trump didn't wear a flag pin, so scandal. Obama never wore it at all in early in his campaign. He like refused to wear it, he, and there was a moment when he was convinced to wear it. When a veteran gave him a pin, he used that as a great pivot point. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't I don't remember all the details around that, but they, you know, they they wear it where they can. <laughs> <laughs> so I before we wrap up i would sure. be remiss to not bring up my friend chelsea handler love chelsea she we has been so become grateful. a huge advocate for you guys we are so grateful for her support she she's the co-chair of our creative council she um helps you know promote our women sometimes she goes and does events with them yeah we, i keep getting invited to events at her house for female candidates female usually candidates. of, of color and it. i'm out of town every time so well, it's unfortunate but i know, still donate when i can work there. thank you thank you for that You're welcome you gotta work on your schedule we did an event in la where chelsea moderated a great panel of a bunch of women barbara boxer amber tamblin some other Constance Wu, Padma Lakshmi. Um, it's a great panel Vajra. right there. It was a great panel just talking about what does it mean to have women at the table in Hollywood, in politics, all over the place. And Chelsea's just – she's such a great advocate. It's it's fantastic. But what We're do so you lucky. do though with somebody who's bananas like Chelsea though? Sometimes she's saying <laughs> things that are not defensible. Sometimes she's saying things that that are not presenting the way probably you would be presenting things for your candidates. What do you do? You know – I feel like in a Donald Trump era, there's no such thing as not presentable. That's a very right? strong point. <laughs> I think Chelsea. Do I? I don't agree with everything Chelsea says. I, I don't agree with anything anybody. You know, everything ever, anyone says. I didn't agree with everything Hillary said. That's okay. And and by the way, in this era, sometimes being a little profane maybe get, cuts through the clutter. That's what so, I try to do on this podcast. I feel like people get excited <laughs> and interested in politics when it's more real, right? And it's right. less refined. And yeah. You said you want your candidates to be themselves. So I guess Chelsea's a good example for Chelsea's that. Chelsea's a great example. There's 
There's that. nobody more herself than her. I will grant her that. I think I think that's absolutely true. And I think I think we get all we to to use my old boss David Pluff's word. We get all wee weed up about you know who said this and who said that. And I think fundamentally what we should be looking at is where's where's your heart and what are you fighting for? Chelsea is fighting to elect a lot more women, and we are so grateful for her. I love that. People is Emily's list. I assume it's on Twitter at Emily's we are on list. Twitter at Emily's list. Yes, you got that. We're name. on. Congrats. We're on all of them. We're on Instagram, Instagram. and Facebook and all those. Um, so yeah, follow us there. I'm on Twitter as well at C Reynolds NC. Um, I get a little more profane, I think, than the Emily's List account, oh, but nice. not Chelsea level. Um, I, <laughs> my mom is a huge follower, so I there is know. a big spectrum be- between a, indeed, an official indeed, organization yes, and yes. Chelsea level profanity. That's right. That's right. Uh, what should I do? I'm here in DC another day. Anything fun? Any hot insider tips? Oh, there's a ton of great stuff. To, what I love about DC is it's all free, and you're getting great weather. Yeah, this Smithsonian. You're talking about museums. I'm talking about like late night. Uh, late night. Is there a good yeah, bar that's yeah. like a local it's, haunt you know, that I need to know about? It's been a while since I've been out to the. <laughs> I'm too tired. I've been doing this too long. Um, I don't have to just wander the streets sure drunk, I guess. Wander the streets, yeah, yeah. But there's there's lots of stuff to do here. It's a it's a great city. It's uh, we're we're working on having it be a little more representative of America, but it's a great city. I like that. I like that. It, it is maybe some of the buildings should stop being white. There you go. That's there one go. move. That's right. That's right. I'm going to talk to people about that. Maybe like a <laughs> consult a painting Work company yeah, or something. There you go. There you Thank go. you, Christina, so much for your time. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for it. having me. Thank so you for dedicating your life to work that helps improve the, the, you. the world. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you Thanks. so much. Good to meet you. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.